Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and it is Tuesday, June 30th, which means, y'all, we are halfway through 2020. And I know 2020 seems like it has lasted approximately 17 million years, but I mean, it's also kind of flown by, right? So I don't know. I just think we should take a minute, like take a deep breath, pat yourself on the back, buy yourself some flowers, do whatever you need to do to congratulate yourself because we're getting through it, y'all. We're getting through it. And of course, I am getting through it while on the floor of my bedroom closet which means this is another edition of The Introvert's Guide to the Good Life. So, you know very well that the coronavirus pandemic is not over, uh, but stay-at-home orders are actually starting to loosen up across the country, including here in Illinois, where people can actually do crazy things like go to restaurants and get haircuts. Meanwhile, you've probably seen news stories that some states are seeing more cases than ever before, which means... All of this is extremely confusing, and that's actually a word I'm going to use a number of times in the upcoming interview you're about to hear. Our guest for this episode is going to help us all make sense of what's next. Her name is Dr. Emily Landon, and she's an epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. Now, some of you may not know Emily by name, but I am willing to bet if you live in the Chicago area and you listened to or watched the press conference in mid-March where the mayor and the governor announced stay-at-home orders, you remember Emily because she made this amazing, impassioned speech. I've spoken with many of my colleagues across the city and the state, and we all acknowledge that this is the only way forward. This virus is unforgiving. It spreads before you even know you've caught it. And it tricks you into believing that it's nothing more than a little influenza. For many of us, it may not be much more than the flu. And so it can be very confusing as to why schools are closed, restaurants are shuttered, and now the virus is taking what's left of our precious liberty. But the real problem is not the 80% who will get over this in a week. It's the 20% of patients, the older, those that are immunocompromised, those that have other medical problems, who are going to need a bit more support, some oxygen, or maybe a ventilator, life support. I can remember exactly where I was sitting as I listened to that speech. And I'm really excited to have Emily on today because I feel like she does such a good job of bringing the humanity to what often just seems like a bunch of really confusing and intense weird numbers, right? So what's actually about to happen today is more or less a therapy session with an infectious disease specialist. Because you probably have a lot of questions. Like, is it okay to drink margs on the porch with a friend? Is eating at a restaurant worth the risk? Can I finally hug someone? 
when can I get out of this closet? Okay, that one probably is just my question, but you get what I mean, right? So Dr. Landon is going to answer all of those questions. She's going to talk to us about managing risk and making good decisions and figuring out how we can coexist with this virus. Dr. Landon, welcome to Nerdette. Hey. Thank you for taking the time. I imagine you have been extremely busy over the last couple months. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty much nonstop since a little after Christmas. Is this like a moment in your career that you ever anticipated actually happening? Well, now, in a rare life foreshadowing moment during Ebola, I frequently was heard to have said, oh, come on, this will be okay. At least it's not a respiratory virus pandemic. Oh, wow. How do you yeah. feel about that one now? Yeah, people bring it up now and they say, you were right. Oof. And I think I wanted to quit before this happened. Yeah, what a terrible thing to be right about. I'm very sorry about that. Yeah, I was hoping um, it would not happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting to talk to someone like you because you at least probably had a, an ability to picture what was going to happen where like, I think a lot of us, you know, like I, we started working from home on March 13th and I think even then it was sort of like, well, who knows? Like maybe it'll just be this month. You know, I think especially early on, it was just all so unknown and foreign and strange to us, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've been at a lot of, you know, the, we do these tabletop drills, these exercises where we go through different threats and like biological threats that may happen and you have to learn how to be prepared for them. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, re I remember sitting around tables and saying things like, and this is where we would cancel all elective procedures. And, you know, and here's where we really recommend strong social distancing and canceling all large gatherings, you know. And you, uh, you say them so easily in these tabletop exercises, but then um, it was pretty surreal to be saying them in real life and to see the real, to, to really see things have to happen that way. Um, it was a freight train that we could see coming. I mean, many people in my kind of work could see it coming from January. And, and oh, it just- Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a freight train. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there are a lot of different factors to what we're looking at right now as places like Chicago are starting to slowly open up. And in a lot of ways, for me, it seemed like it was much easier when it was just like, nope, stay at home. Don't do anything. Don't see anybody. You know, no gatherings. Like the rules were very clearly defined. And as they loosen up more and more, I'm just kind of at and the more tired I am. You know, the more I could just really use a hug, it's just really confusing. Yeah, I am equally perplexed and confused. The, this, the whole process of shutting down, it was a lot more complicated than I anticipated that it was going to be from my tabletop experience, which is not terribly yeah. surprising, I would say. Um, but there is really some, there's a little bit of solace, like sort of a, a breath, a sigh of relief when you just decide to, that it's going to be time for a stay at home and we're going to shut everything down. That yeah. just, that you're right. It sort of feels like, you know, okay, we're going to take a pause now and figure out what to do. And now figuring out how to get back into the world. I think a lot of people felt like, well, we're not going to go back to things until the virus is gone, but right. that's never been the plan. You know, that everyone, well, not everyone, but um, many people could predict that there was going to be still a lot of cases of this virus um, going forward. And uh, that we really needed that time for the stay at home to get things under control so that it was more manageable. 
and um, build our knowledge, understanding our personal protective equipment, our, our capacity and in healthcare. We need to understand better how the disease is transmitted and what we can do to mitigate that so that we can, as we return back to more of our regular lives, that we can accommodate the virus existing with us, coexisting with the virus. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of thought that we would just be able to be done. And that's not, that's not how it is. And I can yes. see that reflected in some policies somewhere in some places. People just are like, I, I give up. I can't keep doing it this way. So we're just going to go back to normal and whatever happens, you know, case sarah, sarah. Right. I think that's what's really confusing about it, because it does seem like a lot of the decisions that have been made have been more along the lines of like, well, we're just sick of dealing with it. So we're going to pretend like it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, I think, and, I think there's a lot of voices that and some of them really are saying that. But I, I think yeah. um, I, I want to say that in Illinois, I feel like we're doing a little bit better than that. A, a lot better, actually. I think. Um, well, we're moving a lot slower, it seems like, which I appreciate. I think that's smart. I think um, we acted quickly in the beginning. And um, I think that things in Chicago could have looked a whole lot like New York City if we'd waited even another week or two longer to do yeah. a shutdown. And I think that that's something that uh, it's really hard for people to understand what was at stake and what was saved and gained, because not losing something is hard to quantify. Um, well, and that's something that I remember you saying very eloquently early on was that, you know, like, if this works, we're not going to notice a difference, right? These extreme restrictions may seem, in the end, a little anticlimactic. Because it's really hard to feel like you're saving the world when you're watching Netflix from your couch. But if we do this right, nothing happens. Yeah. A successful shelter in place means that you're going to feel like it was all for nothing. And you'd be right. Because nothing means that nothing happened to your family. And that's what we're going for here. It's going to feel like nothing. It's not a real issue because we have avoided the risk, which does. It's just really complicated. I should have said it was going to feel like the movie Groundhog Day, which is kind of what it feels like. <laughs> it does. Time is very confusing these days, I have to tell you. I, I agree. Every day is kind of the same. Um, but I think there's, I think there's really an Im important, like, we need to try and acknowledge it. It's part of that, like that whole idea of like being grateful in your life for the things that you kind of overlook. It's the same yeah. kind of thing. We have to be grateful for the fact that we made this sacrifice and you, you, the only thing that you you get out of making that sacrifice is that somebody somewhere in your life that you love and appreciate is still here because we all made that sacrifice. And that, yeah. that's, and, um, you know, that's what we did. But it's it's hard because you can't point to that person and say this is exactly what happened, you know, and, and so it's, right. you know. Yeah. Well, but I do think that what you said about learning how to coexist with the virus does make a lot of sense to me, because I think that's the part that I didn't really get yet. Like, I've only been thinking of it in terms of like, we're just making these like potentially very dangerous choices because we want to get back to real life. Or we have to just like stay the line until there's a vaccine. But that seems crazy, too. No, we probably we can't just stay the line until there's a vaccine. That takes a really long time. And it's not yeah. it's not human to do that. It's it's much more like, you know, our job 
in all of sort of evolution is kind of to adapt to the situations <laughs> that are given to us, right? We climb yeah. mountains, we build skyscrapers, we do all kinds of things, and we figure out how to live with the virus. Um, that means, of course, that some people are going to get sick, but some people are going to get sick even if we did stay at home. Uh, the idea is that we can use what we've learned to try and help people to be able to coexist with the virus. And that the, the issue that I have right now is I think there's a lot of politicization of the or politicization mm -hmm. of the uh, of some of the measures that are important for helping us to coexist peacefully with the virus. And I don't think um, I don't think there's any need for that. You know, the, the, when the case counts are low in your area and you have really, you know, really low levels of transmission, that's a time to be grateful and to be able to more safely spend time with other people and maybe eat inside at a restaurant, you know. But when the case counts are higher, then maybe some of those things aren't available to us. And the difference between those two situations is really about us. It's not about the virus. It's about how well we do at, you know, eliminating unnecessary close contact with people at, you know, sort of saving up our risk and spending it on like getting a hug from your best friend instead of, you know, talking to someone at the grocery store for an hour that you don't, you know, whatever, sure. whatever. you know, so you, you kind of have to pick and choose what really is most valuable to you and kind of do those things. But you also have to be patient and leave room for other people to do stuff too, because, you know, we all can't go to the beach at the same time anymore. Uh, right. What what we used to think of, you know, everybody kind of has their idea about what's too busy and like too crowded. And yeah. then you're like, I'm not staying here. Yeah, I feel like that has recalibrated very quickly over the past couple months, too. Yeah, and it probably needs to be even more recalibrated than than it is for some people. Right. And yeah. that that's like sort of we all need to like take up what our expect expectation was before and cut it in half and probably cut it in half again, um, at least for now. So I like this idea of saving up risk. Can you talk a little more about that? Does that mean that if I'm super careful for a couple weeks and I do see a friend who's also been super careful, it's probably not the worst thing if we if we hug each other? Yes, I did that this weekend. I had a friend did come you? over and we did an activity together. She works in infection control like me and we didn't wear our masks and we had we hugged each other. I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, if you're really careful and you're hanging out with other people that are really careful, then you're sort of, I like to say, if you're up close and unmasked with someone, then you're kind of sharing your risk together. So you need to think about how you're going to do that. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I think to a certain degree, a hug, a, a quick hug with a friend, it, you know, even if you're both wearing masks, pretty safe. And um, it's probably safer than a handshake where you're not cleaning your hands right away afterwards. Sure. Um, because, you know, you're, if you're wearing your mask, because you're not really breathing and you're not breathing in each other's faces. I mean, yeah. it depends on what, what kind of hug you're doing. <laughs> Gradients of hugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think there's room for that. And I think if you need, if you have like a grandmother, a family member that's like, or, you know, grandfather who's higher risk, you can sort of save up. You can say, I'm going to be really extra careful and not take those extra things. And then I'm going to go spend some time with my family because that's what matters to me. That is really reassuring to hear, actually. Because, yeah, I feel like those are a lot of the things where, like, there are no rules about them, right? So it just makes it really complicated. Well, you've been making personal risk assessments your entire life. Like, you decide to wear your seatbelt or not. 
you decide to look both ways before crossing the street when you're in, you know, eight or nine. And um, you, you hopefully, as if you made it to adulthood, you have the habit of looking both ways. Um, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you do, you decide that you're going to, you know, go out and drink with your friends. And, and, you know, there's different things that you take risk for or against, and you make decisions based on your risk assessment of them all throughout your life. This is just a completely new risk to incorporate that you don't really, that there's not enough information to really understand exactly how um, how much risk there is for some of these activities, like reopening these things. We have pretty good guesses and we have great mathematical models, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And so it's all a bit of an experiment. And so you have to sort of um, approach it kind of in that same way for yourself, but you're going to gain experience with it. And it's, it's appropriate to approach it cautiously and carefully and um, to think about what it means. But I think the fact that there aren't too many rules is the kind of, um, that's the freedom that people are looking for. It's not about not having to wear a mask. It's about being able to decide what kind of risk you're going to take on. That's funny because I feel like that's the part that stresses me out. It's like if I just had a list of things that I had to do. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's because you just don't know how to assess that risk yet. And over time, everybody is going to become more complacent. Yeah. Um, because they will have done things yeah. and not gotten sick, and then that'll build into their experience. And, you know, if half the time when you touched a hot stove, you didn't get burned, you'd be a lot less likely to be afraid of a hot stove. So that's that's the problem with stuff like this. There's no, it's not an immediate feedback. Yeah. So you have to sort of condition yourself and remind yourself that I still have to take precautions. For those of you keeping score, yes, I did use the word confusing three times and then switched to complicated in case you were wondering how I feel about COVID. More with the good doctor about whether she's got any vacations planned for 2020 in just a minute. The answer is no, she doesn't have any vacations planned. She's aiming for 2021. But I mean, you should still listen to the rest of the interview. (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So the thing that bothers me the most is not being able to travel or not feeling safe traveling. I love traveling and I love airports and I love flying on planes. I know that's crazy, but um, (laughs) that's like, I love it. And so I'm really upset because I, I want to be able to go places, but I kind of just told myself, you know, I said, I had said, maybe by the end of the summer in, in January or February, when this was kind of developing, I thought, well, maybe by summer I'll be able to travel. And then, you know, that didn't work out. And so sometime in April, I said, you know what? 2020 is lost. Just if you get to travel sometime during 2020, that'll be great. It'll be like a big, you know, like a big special, Oh wow. It it ended faster than I thought, but it's just going to be at least 2020. And 
And so maybe setting yourself a more realistic expectations than what you might have had in your head to begin with might help you. It helps me. It makes me feel better about it because I can think, oh, because after 2020 comes 2021 and it will be safer then or hopefully it will be. How much I mean, how optimistic are you about a vaccine? I think we'll get a vaccine. I don't know if the first vaccine is going to be as you know, the vaccine or an effective vaccine. It's just really important that we spend enough time developing the vaccine that we're sure that it is both safe and effective. Right. And it takes a while to figure that out because it, you can have sort of late side effects and that sort of thing. And we, we really need that to be the case because this is going to be a very popular vaccine. And, and I would hate to see a big uh, side effect group. So I think we're going to have to just be patient about it. And I think there's a really good chance that it's the kind of vaccine where you're going to need multiple doses or where you have to get uh, you have to mm. get vaccinated every year, maybe after the first year. Um, you know, because it looks like, or at least we expect that the immunity to this, to COVID is, isn't going to last as long as people want it to. It's not like measles. You get it once right, and you're good, yeah, right. you know? So I, uh, there's a good chance that the vaccine can hope will need to be given regularly, which is always a problem. Well, and that's probably not too different from then like a flu shot, right? Where there are different strands each year too. And so they're trying to customize it as much as possible to really target what, yeah. what's likely to spread the most. It's, it's not clear if that's going to happen with this coronavirus, but it, I would, in my head, it kind of feels like we might end up with a vaccine that um, gets co-formulated with the flu shot. So you just get your flu slash COVID oh, vaccine every year. Nice. You know, that's that seems like uh, that's like sort of my uh, fantasy world of vaccination. Um, I think that would work. And I think it's reasonable, although it's not ideal from a public health standpoint. So how are you planning on moving through the world in the next couple weeks? Like, when are you going to hug another friend? We'll start there. Oh, I think I'm going to hug another friend later this week. I'm going to see another friend later this week. So right now, just to be clear, in Illinois, the, the numbers are great right now. Now, yeah. that does not, there's no guarantee on this. And there's no, uh, there's also no expiration date, right? So yeah. if, um, if they can stay this low, then the likelihood that any person has COVID is the lowest that it's been since probably February. And so it's really... It, we don't actually know exactly because we had so few tests at that point, but um, right. it's pretty low right now. And that, that feels really good to me. So I think, you know, it's the right time to make the move into phase four. Um, but I don't know if we'll be able to stay there. It depends. There's yeah. still sort of this looming. Is there going to be some fallout from the protests that happened a couple of weeks ago? That can take a couple of incubation periods to start seeing people, um, getting sick and ending up in the hospital, getting tested more frequently because mm -hmm. presumably younger, healthier people who are less likely to be super symptomatic were the ones that were at the protest, but they could pass it on to people who might be sicker or have more comorbidities. And so it can take a couple incubation periods to start to see the effect of any change. But um, so far, Illinois is doing pretty well. And so I think now is the time to try and, and do some of those things. And I think, you know, like I said, if you want to be super careful, you can take anything and lower the risk. If the most important thing to you is hugging your best friend, then by all means, don't, you know, make it packed and you're not going to spend time with a lot of other people. But then when you guys get together, you're going to hang out and you're going to have cocktails and a tiny, you'd have them in your closet, right? That's like the worst possible situation. <laughs> you're not wearing masks, you're in the close space. It's 
got poor ventilation. Yeah, I was going to say that's going to get real stuffy real fast. Yeah. So uh, that would be like sort of the worst case scenario. Um, I might not do that. I don't know that I would do that either, frankly. But I think, I think, you know, if you wanted to make it safer, you'd want to, you know, you could do something with your friends where you could both wear masks if you were really worried. Um, you can certainly, you can have a quick hug. Even the CDC says you need to spend about 10 minutes unmasked and up close with someone in order to really have a high risk of catching something. So a quick hug isn't going to, isn't going to hurt you. Um, I don't think. Well, and it seems like being outside is always better too. Yeah. So that was the next thing. If you wanted to make it even safer, you'd do something outside and outside's better than inside. Masks are better than no masks. Um, distance is better than no distance. So that means that you should, if you're really risk averse, you want to take eating off your list and drinking because that means you take your mask off. Um, And, you know, it's really about both people or all the people in the group wearing the mask. Masks that were, the way that we're using them in the U.S., these fabric masks, because medical masks really do need to be saved for high-risk individuals and then in healthcare. Yeah. Um, So fabric masks are really, they're pretty good at filtering out COVID from the air. Someone else is breathing it out around you, but they're not as great as a medical mask would be. Um, but they are really, really good at holding any coronavirus you may have because a lot of people don't even know they have COVID and they're contagious. That's the real advantage that this virus has over us. Um, and so if you're wearing your mask and, uh, then you won't pass it on to other people, but in order for you to be as protected as you want, they need to be wearing their mask. The other people you're with need to be wearing their mask too. So stuff outside, masks, so less eating. But I think eating outside at a restaurant or even if it's a restaurant that has, you know, we're going to have indoor restaurant opportunities soon. And I think that's, um, that's interesting. It's, it's more risky than eating outside. But I do think that, um, I think there's ways to make sure that it's as safe as you can make it. I think you want to go to a place that has a policy about COVID. I would not visit a place that thinks that COVID is a hoax. It's not a good idea. (laughs) That seems like great advice. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to protect the health of their workers. They're not going to care if people come to work. You see, you want a place where they're going to make sure that people are not sick when they're coming into work, where they're going to enforce mask wearing, where they're going to uh, have hand sanitizer available for people. You want to see people wearing their masks. You want to see people asking other patrons if they're ill before they seat them in the same room as you. You know, you want to, you want them to have a policy and you want to see the policy in action. You want to see them taking it seriously. Because yeah. you're at lower risk. If they're making sure other people aren't sick that are coming in, then that puts you at lower risk. And if their workers are not sick, then that puts you at lower risk. And in this day and age, I think we all want to, I want to spend my money supporting places that are going to take care of people. Totally. What are some activities you would recommend? Like I mentioned at the top that I would really love to like drink marks with some friends on the porch. Is that? Yeah, I think you can do that. I think you have to be thoughtful about who you're choosing to uh, drink margaritas with on their porch. And I think you want to keep that number limited or you want to be kind of socially distant. You know, it's not fair, but you're going to have to put all of your friends into groups. There's the people you're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the people you're willing to spend time with up close and unmasked. And then there's the friends you want to see, but only if you're masked and a little bit distant and outside, you know, and then, so there's, there's just, I don't Good. know. I love ranking friends. You're in, you're in my lawn game friends, but not my drinks friends. <laughs> well, but part of that is not even necessarily criteria around how much you like them, but just like 
do they have kids in daycare? How many, you know, like do, do they have an immunocompromised person in their home? You know, like that kind of stuff too. Are they immunocompromised? Are they immunocompromised? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it is actually kind of probably has to be a joint decision between you and your friend about how you're going to navigate your relationship. Right. And that, um, that's, it's a weird conversation to have, but it is, um, it's a new one that we're going to be having now. Dr. Emily Landon, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. It was great. And I hope you venture out of your closet. Thank you. I will. I will eventually when I'm ready. All right, that's it for today. The show was produced by me along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you on Friday. Stay safe, y'all. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.